But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passage of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Tim Frey. I'm the middle school youth director here at Mannheim BIC Church, and I'm excited to be continuing our series that we're entitling Sojourners. And what this series is looking at is as we face challenges and trials and unknown and new situations, what does it look like for us to live as followers of Christ in the midst of that? And here this morning, we're going to continue that in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, but before we jump in, I want to kind of take us back to the beginning of our service quickly. In case you did not hear uh, announcements at the beginning of the service, I just want to highlight that our women's retreat is coming up on March 8th to the 10th, and the deadline to sign up is this upcoming week. So make sure that if you have not signed up for that, it's going to be a great retreat and time away from March 8th to the 10th, and there's more details in your bulletin and at our next steps counter as well. Well, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into the message. Father God, we just want to take a minute to take a breath from anything that maybe stressed us out this morning. Maybe that was how late our alarm clock woke us up. Maybe that was getting the kids here on time or getting ourselves here on time. Lord, maybe it was words that we wish we hadn't said to a spouse or to a child or to someone we care about. Maybe it was decisions from this past week. Uh, Lord, we just put all of those in your hands. And Lord, anything that we're currently concerned about, that we're currently feeling the weight of, we place in your hands. And Lord, anything that we're thinking about, that when we leave these doors, that life is gonna look like or the rest of our day, God, we just take a minute to put all of that in your hands. We trust you with it. We just pray that you would allow us to be present to what you want to teach us and how we can learn more about who you are in this moment. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was thinking this past week was Valentine's Day and I was reflecting on my first dance that I remember. So some of you guys might have to think back further than others, but if you think back to middle school dances in eighth grade, uh, there was a girl who I had a big crush on that I was hoping was going to be at this eighth grade Valentine's dance, and she was there. And I remember going to this dance, and I had a button-up face, which I haven't grown out of, but had a button-up face where that's all I would wear to school. So I had that, went to the dance. I was looking good. I was ready for it. And I did what every eighth grade boy does at a dance. We have a very important job. It's to keep the wall up, right? Back against the wall, leaned up. We kind of lean there, hang out. We make sure the wall does not fall. Um, and in that moment, then there's kind of groups of girls dancing, and then there's like girls on the other wall. And it's, it's like, it's very strange setup. But I remember the best friend of this girl that I had a crush on uh, comes over and said that she would like to dance with me. So I kind of fixed my hair. I made sure my collar was good, and I sprinted straight to the bathroom and hid there for the next hour. <laughs> I booked out of there as quick as possible. And it was a little challenging because, you know, like, I didn't have, I couldn't drive, right? It's so like, I can't get myself out of there. So I'm texting my parents. Fine, with a, with a flip phone, track phone, didn't even have enough credit. Anyway, got out of there as quick as possible. Ne saw that girl again, obviously, the next week at school. Didn't work out, probably because I sprinted out of it. But it was a moment where it was kind of fight or flight, right? I had a choice to either 
step into that, which I'm not, a, I should preface, I'm a terrible dancer, unless it's like the YMCA or it tells me when to cha-cha real smooth or how many times to jump up and down. I, I'm not good at those where I gotta figure it out. But in that moment, I booked it out of there. And I wonder, that is such a small trial. That is such a small challenge, right? For, for me in eighth grade, it was pretty mortifying, to be honest with you. But in the grand scheme of things, that's such a small moment. But what I considered as I reflected on that was, is there moments in our lives or when moments in our lives come that we can't run out of a situation? How do we stay faithful to God in the midst of it? When something happens in our life that we did not have control over, but now is a reality that we have to be a part of. We can't make it go away. We can't change it. It's where we are and we have to keep going. How do we do that? How do we do it in the middle of that? Right in the middle of suffering, right in the middle of unknown, right in the middle of challenge. What does it mean to be faithful to God there? And here's why I think that matters. Because most of our lives will be spent in the middle. Most of our lives are gonna be spent in the middle of an unknown, of a challenge, of a trial, of a struggle. I think sometimes we like to think that we spend time going from, it's gonna be a hard season and then suddenly everything's gonna be great and it's gonna be an easy season. But the reality for most of us is if we wait for a season with zero struggle, we're gonna be waiting till eternity. We're, we're gonna find ourselves in the middle. Most of our lives are gonna be spent in the middle. So how in the middle of that do we trust God? How do we live out our faith in the middle of trials, in the middle of challenges? I wanna, I know I said 1 Peter 5. I wanna go back to 1 Peter 4 for one verse because I think it does a great job of setting the scene for where we're gonna go in 1 Peter 5. So this is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Here's what it says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So this verse packs out each piece of what it means for us to trust God in the midst of it. It says, while we suffer according to God's will, entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Not a creator who created us and said, good luck, but a creator who is faithful to be present and sustain us in the midst of it. But look what it says to do, do good. All right, easy solution, right? Sermon over, we can go home. But that, like, that sounds simple, but how do we continue to do good in the midst of suffering? It's that we entrust our souls to a faithful creator and we continue to do the right things when we can see what's coming or not. When we understand why it's happening or we don't. We continue to stay the course. Here's what I think a, a working definition for us this morning of trust is doing what is good in the middle of suffering. Not doing what is good to hope suffering never happens or doing what is good on the opposite end of it when everything's good again. But in the middle of the storm, of the challenge, doing what is good. That is showing who we trust in the midst of those moments because most of our lives are spent there. Now, this morning, we're gonna spend most of our time in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11, I would encourage you to read the first five this week and come back next week. Uh, Pastor Bryce is gonna close out this series looking at kind of a call to us in our influence and in our leadership. And that's what the first five verses are. But I wanna summarize them briefly for you so you understand some context of where we're gonna be at. So in 1 Peter 5, one to five, Peter takes time to address leaders. These are shepherds who either ran house churches or they ran care ministries, and they had kind of lost sight of who was the one actually caring for souls and caring for people. They started to buy into the belief that it was about them. And some of them were overseeing as many as 30 to 50 people. 
So Peter starts this chapter with a call to humility specifically for leaders. And then he flips it in verse six to a call for humility specifically for all people. And that's where we're gonna spend time here this morning. So it's in 1 Peter 5, chapter five, verses six to seven. Here's what it says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So that same idea of humility is the overarching theme of this passage, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Think about what that means. Humbling under means that we understand that God is the one who created us, that he is the one who is all powerful, that he is the one who is deserving of all praise and all glory. So we humble ourselves underneath the mighty hand of God, not in a top-down fearful that he's gonna be aggressive towards us way, but in reverence of his power and who he is. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he can work through our lives. He can get glory through our lives. But then it continues on to say that we are to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. You know, I I think worry, concern, anxiety is a sign that you're a living, breathing human being who has people in your life that you care about. There will be moments of worry, concern, care that come from the fact that you live life with other people who you love and care for. But what we really wanna look at this morning is that can quickly turn from genuine care to self-focused fear and destructive patterns that come out of that. And any time that we talk about fear or anxiety, I want you to know that beyond what we're gonna talk about today, which is in the umbrella of humility, how do we live that out? How do we stay faithful when that comes? There's also other supports out there. You know, there's general anxiety disorder, there's anxiety attacks, there's all these different levels to that that We have great counselors in our community that our staff has used in the past, some continue to use, and we would love for you to use if that is something in your life that you feel like could support where you're at. So I want you to know that anytime we talk about anxiety, there's also those resources to grow in it. And why that's important is because when our anxiety becomes unchecked, when our anxiety continues to turn self-centered and self-focused, it turns into self-destructive behaviors. It turns into us looking around at all the situations saying, I don't know how I can be enough for myself, for my family, for everybody else around me, so I'm out. I'm gonna find something, a habit, something to get out of this insecurity that I don't feel like I'm enough. I don't feel like I can do it for my family. I don't think I can do it in class, in school, with a job, and be there for my friends. I don't know how to do all of it. And it can quickly turn to that. And if I want you to know if that's a reality for you, we have a group here on Tuesday nights that meets called Celebrate Recovery, which the whole goal of that ministry and the mission of it is that if you have hurts, habits, or hangups, it's a place to come and with community of other people who are currently there or have been there, want freedom for you from that, through God's power in that. So I want us to understand that's where it starts to get challenging. Now, the reason that anxiety, worry, care is heavy is because it's about things that matter and have immediate impact on us and people we care about, right? Whether that's about finances or about retirement or about your family or about future or about health and concerns that come up with that. These are heavy, weighty things and it's not wrong for us to care about people around us. 
But where we run into trouble is when we allow fear to control our decisions. When we allow it to completely change the way we live out of it. It's one thing to care and, and, and trust and be around people around us who have challenges and have suffering. It's another thing to allow that to control the way we live. So Peter gives us a verb here where he says for us to cast our cares. And I believe that worries are an indication that we are carrying instead of entrusting. So here this morning, I wanna look at those two different ways to go about it. That worries show us that we are trying to carry these concerns and not entrusting them to God in humility, as he says in the first verse. If there is an area of your life where worry tends to continually come back, I would encourage you to pray, is that an area that you are carrying or have you entrusted it? Have you put that trust in God in that area? So we're gonna look at a couple ways that that happens. And the question becomes, what do I do? So if I'm supposed to cast my anxiety on God, how do I do it? What I think is so cool is the same Greek verb that was used in 1 Peter 5, 7, to cast our cares on God, is only used one other place in all of scripture. And that's Luke 19, 35. So I wanna take a moment to read that for us. And in Luke 19, 35, this is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem where they're like, Hosanna, save us. Like, this is the moment where Jesus is being crowned. This is the king that's come. And here's what it says in verse 35. They brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. That word throwing is the same word for to cast our cares on God. Here's what I think is so powerful about that. A cloak was meaningful to people of that time. We have a lot of possessions. So if you're like, hey, take my coat, we probably don't think about that quite the same nowadays, but a cloak was a valuable possession that they threw to Jesus to sit on, saying, you are king, you are Lord, save us. That was the posture of throwing a cloak to Jesus. So when we think about worries and cares, to cast means to literally throw anxiety and worry to God because we understand that he is Lord, we understand that he is king, and we are praising him by doing that. So I want you to consider if there's a trial, if there's a worry, if there's a situation, what does it look like for you? I want you to picture it as a cloak for a second. Is it a cloak that you are wearing and saying, I'm gonna figure this out, I got it, it's all me? Have you kind of let go of it, but you're like in a tug of war with God for that? Or have you actually thrown it to God and said, I can't, you're, you're in control, you're my power, you're my strength, I'm casting it to you. That verb is so powerful when we understand that. Are we carrying our concerns or have we thrown them to God? Have we released control of worry to him? Those are two very different realities to live in. So the question that we're gonna look at, and, and there's kind of three ways that I believe we, we entrust God, is am I entrusting or am I carrying? Am I trusting God with this area of my life or am I still carrying it? And the first way that we entrust is through prayer. Prayer is an act of reliance on God. Prayer means that when a concern comes for someone I care about, for myself, for something in the future, something in the present, that I understand that the only person who can save, redeem, restore any of those things, any piece of my life is God. 
I am fully reliant on God who is the creator and sustainer for everything in my life that I need. Full reliance. Prayer as our first response and the first way we trust is full reliance on God. So I think there's two parts that James lays out for us of the power of prayer and in some ways what prayer does in our relationship with God. The first is in James 5.16 where it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the first step here is praying for other people. When someone brings a concern or a need, whether that's a health concern or a relational need or whatever that looks like, praying for people around us is an act of reliance. Praying for what they're working through. Praying for what they're navigating. And then James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So the second piece is asking God for wisdom. How do I navigate this hard situation? Instead of saying, I need to know what to do, I should already know better, I should know how to navigate it. What does it look like to ask God for his wisdom and his leadership? First Peter 5 continues on where it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. A reality of life for us is that the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have a new enemy and a new opponent. That's been the same opponent since the beginning. When you think about creation and fall, where the serpent gets Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of that tree, it starts this struggle that Jesus victoriously won for us, but that we are kind of in this already, but not yet, where we see God's kingdom moving, but he hasn't come back to restore all things yet. And it is so important for us to understand, it says that the devil is our opponent. It does not say that the person around us is our opponent. Because I believe that in the middle of suffering, in the middle of challenges, it is so easy to go sideways at everybody around you and say they're the enemy. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they looked at me that way. They disrespected me that way. They're the enemy. But Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. That means no person in your life is the enemy. It can be so hard to lose sight of that in the midst of trial, in the midst of struggle. I read a story this week about the process of, there was a tropical medication for fighting malaria. So there was different places that would treat people with malaria kind of as it first originated. And they, they were trying to figure out how do we help people? They would heal one person. They would find healing for one person for medications and treatment. And then three more people would walk in with malaria and they felt helpless, and they felt like it was just this ongoing struggle. And then one day, someone figured out that mosquitoes are what transmit malaria, and that there was millions of mosquitoes around them. So they drained the swamp, they figured out how to make mosquito net so at night they wouldn't get bitten up, and they got control of malaria. They got control of this illness. It was because they figured out who their opponent was. They knew what their real enemy was in that situation. It is incredibly important for us to know that our enemy is not our neighbor who doesn't think like us, act like us, or respect us. We have one enemy. It says the devil. We have one enemy, evil. 
what our goal is in that situation is how do we pray for the brokenness in that person? How do we pray for God to redeem them the same way he redeemed us? It is incredibly important for us to know. The word sober-minded, I love this. Another way to say that, spiritually vigilant. Be aware of your emotions. Be aware of where you're at spiritually when you interact with people around you. We have one enemy and it's not our neighbor. And that's crucial for us as we stay faithful. All of 1 Peter has been about what does it mean to be gentle and firm and follow after Jesus in the midst of different cultures, in the midst of different circumstances. And that doesn't change here for Peter. Continues on in 1 Peter 5, verse 9. It says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So we have a calling in response here. Our calling is to resist the ploys of the enemy, to resist traps that we might fall into, to resist temptations. And I love what it says in verse 9. The same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I think the easiest lie for us to believe is we are the only one who has that temptation. We are the only one who has that struggle. We are the only one who's in that suffering or that challenge. It's only me. And I think there's things in our lives that don't make that easier. I would argue that social media does not make that easier to believe because we compare our current struggle to that cropped, edited, perfected version of someone else's life. And we quickly believe that I am the only one who has that temptation. I am the only one who's made that mistake. I'm the only one who's had that happen. The beauty of the fact that God gave us his power, his presence, and his people is that when we are in relationship, authentic, vulnerable relationship with other followers of Christ, we can hear them say, you are not alone. You are not the only one who is struggling. There's been people throughout time, there will continue to be people throughout time, and there's people right now who have had the same struggle that you have. And God has been faithful to them, and he's gonna be faithful to you. So don't believe the lie that you need to isolate because of a challenge or a trial or a situation. God called us to be in relationship with each other. And I love this reminder that we are not the only ones in whatever our season looks like. We have God's people to support us and walk through us in these seasons. But then if you look at verse 10, after you've suffered a little while, man, I really wish a little while was more specific. I don't know if I got any other type A people in the room, but I was like, after you've suffered for 35 minutes, right? Or, uh, for two months, then it will be a little while is pretty vague because God's timing is different than ours. Anyway, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory, I want you to hear what he will do. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is praising God for who he is. This is him saying, hey, the God, no matter how long your suffering is going for, understand that the God of the universe will confirm, establish, restore, be present. Because remember, uh, 1 Peter 4, 19, he is faithful and he will be those things. And the second way that we trust in the middle of a trial is we worship. We praise God. 
And here's why I think praise is so powerful. So we said we pray and we also praise. Praise is so powerful because it is proclaiming God's character regardless of our reality. Think about that. It is proclaiming God's character regardless of our situation. Because no matter what we are facing, we know that God is faithful, that he will redeem, that he will establish, that we might be in this kind of already but not yet, where there's still brokenness, there's still pain. One day he's gonna make everything right. And he has proven to be faithful throughout history and will continue to be. And praise is a way that we say, no matter what I'm facing, that first song, I'm gonna praise the Lord in it. That is a way that we trust him because we understand that changing circumstances does not mean changing character for God. I love Psalm 73, 28. It says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. What if that was our heartbeat? Hey, regardless of what I'm facing, regardless of what I'm in the midst of, regardless of what's happening, it is good for me to be near God. There's no place I'd rather be in the midst of that because I understand he's king, I understand he's Lord, and I understand he's working and he's faithful. It's what worship is. It's this reminder that it is good for us to be near God. There's one more verse left in this passage in 1 Peter 5, 11, where it says, to him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. That's a very simple verse here, but what it's getting at is dominion and power, that God is all-powerful, all-worthy, and I believe this verse is about promoting God. Now, I don't mean like CEO status, I don't mean like giving God a job description and a pay raise, but by promote, promote means to make greater something, right? So the third way we pray, we praise, and we entrust God by promoting who God is with our life. Not, I know some of you guys, that takes an advertising lens. I don't mean any of that. I literally mean we become lesser and we make his name greater. That we realize that our life is not about our, what people think of us, our reputation, if people think we're wise, if people think we're a good leader. It is about the glory of God who is the reason that anything good is happening in our life, period. It all comes from him. Verse, uh, 1 Peter 5, 4 as you kind of read back this week, talks about Jesus as our chief shepherd. That means that he's the one who is bringing change, who is caring in those situations. So we pray, we praise, we promote. Those are the ways that we can trust God in the middle of it. But I wanna share with you, I think it can be incredibly easy for us to fall back from that and to start carrying again. And I wanna share with you what I think carrying looks like. So, for me, in the last couple months, I've wrestled with worry and care and anxiety in, in a new way than I have previously. And I've wrestled through what does it mean to be faithful in the midst of it? What does it mean to trust God in the midst of it? And my wife and I have been reading through the Bible in a year, um, and we got to Exodus 14. And I want to set the scene for you and share this story with you because it, it meant a lot to my heart. Uh, Exodus 14, 19 to 20 is a passage where Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He is leading them to the promised land. They've had all the plagues. Pharaoh says, you can go. I'm finally gonna let your people go. And then the Egyptians come storming after him. He's changed his mind and goes, psych, we're actually gonna try to take you out again. And they're at this standoff in the Red Sea where God has parted the waters. And the whole time, 
God's presence has been going before the Israelites, right? They've been led by a cloud and fire leading them forward. And he's been parting the waters to their side. But I want you to check out what happens in verse 19 and 20. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. The presence of God moved from in front to behind them. And what I think is so powerful about that story is we see that God's presence covers the three areas of life that we are most likely to worry and carry. Our past, the Egyptians, literally their past they thought they were freed of, that is chasing them. So I think the first one for us is our past regrets is one thing that causes us to carry and causes us to worry. In the middle, God's presence is literally holding back water so they can walk through. Our present insecurity is another place where we often worry. And then God's presence has been leading them forward. And present potent, or potential problems is the third one. So those are three areas that I believe we often get trapped in and start carrying. We look at our past regrets. I wish I took care of myself better. I wish I was more present for my family. I wish I cared at school and tried harder. I wish I valued the season of life I was in. It could be so easy to get stuck in that. But I want you to understand God has covered that. And in this story, we see that image. When he says it is finished on the cross, that means he's covered any past regrets because of the sacrifice of his son. And then as you see the people walking through, put yourself in that for a moment. The sides of the Red Sea are parted and they are walking through it. There's present insecurities. Will the water stay up? <laughs> Will we be able to walk another five feet, 10 feet? There's that present insecurity of, do I have enough to keep going? Can I continue to walk one foot after the other? Can I keep going in the middle of it? But we know that God when we seek first the kingdom of God, everything else is added to us. That means everything we need to live out his calling for our lives, we have in him. So when that worry comes, he's present in the midst of it. And then I think there's the third level, our potential problems. Because I would imagine that as these Israelites are crossing the Red Sea, they hear about this promised land that's coming. I wonder if they think, man, does that promised land have a Starbucks? Like, is, is there a Waze app to tell us how long it's gonna take to get there? Like, I, do I have to sleep near that family? <laughs> right, like think about all the things, like what is the promised land gonna be? And it is so easy for us to get caught up in potential problems. But God's word tells us he has good plans for us, that we were a masterpiece created to display his glory. So any one of those things that can so easily trip us up, he has covered with his presence. And we see it in one moment in scripture. And that's such a powerful image. So as you walk through the middle, understand that any past regrets that try to come for you, God has covered any present insecurities. He said he's enough and he will supply and any potential problems, he goes before and leads where we're headed. And you don't have to figure out the best route to get there. He knows it if you'll stay faithful one step at a time. My, one of my favorite verses in scripture that says that is Hebrews 13, eight says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. The same God who sent Jesus to die for us, who covered our sin, is the same God who is present with us today and the same God who will be present 
as we go forward. The same God who was with Moses, who parted the sea, who can do those type of things, is with you. And I, I, was, I was told and reminded this week of a, of a Celtic prayer that monks used to pray. And, and the premise of it was Christ be all around me behind me, before me, beside me. We have Christ within us. We have the Holy Spirit within us, which is an even further gift than where the Israelites were walking. But I believe that that needs to be our prayer daily. As we pray and praise and promote who God is. Because here's the reality. We're going to be in the middle of a hard season or a trial. If you're not in one currently, it's coming. Or regardless of that, just the ability to live out what God calls us to, to be faithful, to be used for things that are way beyond what we could do on our own, it requires God daily. So what would it look like if your prayer every morning was Christ be all around me, be behind me, here's the things I'm carrying from my past that I need to put before you. Be with me currently, here's the insecurities that I don't know how you're gonna figure out because I don't have an answer right now. And God, go before me. Here's the wisdom that I'm not sure where to go, but I need you and I know you're gonna be in my future. I know you're gonna be there. Show me where to go. That's how we can live a life of entrusting God, not caring. So I would encourage you to think through as we're gonna sing a song called Do It Again. And this song is all about, hey, we've read about in God's word, we've read that God has done all these powerful things, that he has moved mountains, that he has split apart seas. And if we believe that that's the same God with us, we've seen him do it in his word. You've seen him do it in your own life. Think about the fact that we can have a relationship with God means he's already done an incredible work in our lives. But the bridge of it says, I believe I'll see you do it again. Whatever you're in the middle of this morning, I would encourage you to let that be your prayer, let that be your praise, and let that be the way you promote God that you might not understand it, but he has a plan in the midst of it. We've seen him move mountains. His promise still stands. He is faithful. First Peter 4, 19 says, we entrust ourselves to a faithful God. That's his character. Let Christ be all around us as we walk into our week this week. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your presence with us. I thank you that there's nothing that can separate us from that. Lord God, I just pray for whatever middles we're in the middle of currently. We, we place those in your hands. And we ask for the strength and the wisdom to continue to pray, to continue to praise you and to continue to promote your name. And Lord, we believe that you are the same God and that in the same way you've worked in our lives before that you're gonna do it again. We just pray that this song would be a prayer, that it would be our praise and Lord, that you would get all the glory from how we live this out in our lives this week. Be all around us as we head into our work, to our families and to what you have planned for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.